Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fast Charge. I'm your regular host, Dom. I am joined, as ever, by Lewis and Toddy. And then our special representative this week is Jim, the uh, editor of Tech Advisor, so all of our boss. Um, <laughs> we have a special episode today in two ways. One, because I clocked it's episode 64, which immediately just makes my heart sing because I think of the N64 and I'm a child at heart. Um, Two, because we, we are finally able to talk properly about the follow-up to everyone's favourite phone of 2020, the Galaxy Z Flip. Uh, <laughs> so our, our first topic for today will be the Galaxy Z Flip 2 slash 3 and the Fold 3, uh, because we saw the first images came out of that, that then led to the first renders appearing, and that felt like a good excuse to round up everything we know so far about Samsung's upcoming foldable phones. Next, we are going to turn to Apple versus Epic. Uh, that lawsuit that has been long brewing has actually kicked off this week. They are in the courts uh, as we speak. I suppose they're in the courtroom. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about some of the bits that have come out from that so far, especially the bits that really relate to just how the iPhone and iOS work as a platform and how that might change depending on the way this lawsuit goes. Finally, uh, Lewis is ready to give his review of Apple's AirTag tracker. That is why Jim is here, because he has reviewed a lot of the other trackers. So we're going to have a little bit of a head-to-head, -head, talk about how the AirTag stacks up against the competition. And I think we'll probably also touch on uh, the battery issue that uh, has become a hot topic in Australia. And the question of whether these are a risk for kind of stalking and spying on people and other kind of unsavory behaviors, and whether that's really an AirTag problem, or if that's always been the case with just this product category as a whole. Before that, let's run through a few little other bits and pieces. Uh, one, I have not prepped at all because I only just saw it, but this is also exciting to me. Uh, there's been the first leak that Oppo is working on a clamshell foldable phone, i.e. a Z Flip style foldable, the best kind of foldable, we all agree. Uh, we already knew Oppo was working on sort of a larger screen foldable, and there's the rollable, the Oppo X, but this is the first sign that someone other than Samsung and Motorola with a razor is getting into that clamshell space, which I think is great news. Second up, uh, Google unveiled something called Entertainment Space, which is the first bit of like dedicated Android tablet development that they've done in years, probably. Uh, this is sort of just a little hub for entertainment content. It's rolling out on like some specific tablets sold through specific retailers, and then it's going to slowly roll out more widely. I don't know exactly what this means and how widespread this is going to be going to become, but it is kind of a reassuring sign that maybe Google wants to take Android tablets seriously again because it has really neglected that ecosystem for years, and it's basically just the goodwill of Samsung and Huawei that's uh, propped that space up because Google certainly isn't putting the work in. Uh, next, HMD, i.e. the owners of the Nokia brand right now, have, as of today, launched HMD Mobile, uh, their MVNO network. We talked about this briefly a few weeks ago because it came up when they first unveiled the sort of rebranded Nokia range. Um, but yeah, this is, this is HMD doing a mobile network. Um, they're piggybacking on existing carriers. It's launched in the UK today, and as far as I'm aware, just the UK but they do intend to roll this out more broadly. Um, I don't know if they're ever going to become a big player because really this is kind of a convenience thing. They're pitching it as when you buy a Nokia phone from Nokia.com, you can immediately get a plan through them as well, 
which makes sense. So don't expect this to become like a massive player worldwide in the network space. But if it takes off, you could totally see other companies looking at this and thinking, well, why can't Xiaomi do that? And of course, the big one, why can't Apple do that? Because that's the company that I immediately think would love to be taking over that bit of the ecosystem as well. What else? Um, Pixel Buds. Google has leaked the Pixel Buds A for the second time. Um, <laughs> we are expecting these budget Pixel earphones to turn up, probably at Google I.O., which is uh, now just two weeks away. Um, you may remember we talked about a while ago, Google put out a piece of imagery that had a pair of Pixel headphones in that were in a color that the Pixel headphones weren't currently sold in, so everyone really clocked others the A. Uh, now the official Android account put out a tweet saying that the Pixel Buds A existed uh, and touting a couple of features and then obviously rapidly deleted that tweet. So the Pixel Buds A, they do exist. They <laughs> almost certainly are going to be announced at Google I.O. Expect slightly budget Pixel Buds. Um, I think we haven't liked the Pixel Buds all that much so far. So I, I'm not personally excited. I'm more but cheaper. But we'll see. Maybe Google figured it out. Uh, and the final little bit of quick news is actually more tablet stuff. I should have ordered this better. Uh, but Xiaomi looks to be working on tablets. Uh, three Android tablets, to be precise. These could be branded as Mi Pad 5 because there was a Mi Pad 4 series a few years ago, but maybe they're going to recognize that it's been a while and kind of just start the branding from scratch or something else we don't know. Uh, Toddy, you, you covered this for us, but basically someone dug up code names in MIUI referencing three tablets. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah, people on the XDA forums dug through, uh, I think it was the MIUI home app, like an alpha build, and they found screenshots for a tablet mm -hmm. interface. And then also some other uh, MIUI 12.5 system apps, they found the code names, which were Nabu, Enuma, and Ilish, or Eilish, I don't know. They're apparently Babylonian, ancient Babylonian references. Um, there's speculation about how that might tie into the functionality of the tablets. Nabu is the like god of scribes and wisdom and stuff, so... Maybe stylus support. Who knows? Um, also, this talk, one of them will be a cellular model um, variant of just one of the other ones. So there's just two versions sense. of the same yeah. tablet, whilst the other tablet might be slightly different in terms of the spec and hardware. There's expectations of there being a Snapdragon 870 in one and 860 in the other. So kind of more premium than what the Mi Pad 4 was, which was definitely a mm -hmm. mid-range tablet. Um, and yeah. That's kind of all we really know right now. A few other little bits like screen res and stuff, but nothing too concrete at this yeah. stage. Okay. Well, Android tablets, maybe they're going to be a thing again. I really would not have called that in my 2021 bingo. No. Um, but <laughs> let's see. Okay. Without further ado, I guess let's turn to foldables. Uh, so the big news in the foldable space is basically that uh, a series of images from what looked to be an internal Samsung video, some sort of you know early marketing material for the Z, the next Z Flip and the next Z Fold. Uh, a couple of leakers managed to get hold of stills from that video, based on those stills and other things we've known about these phones. Then some other people went and turned those you know dodgy looking low res stills into beautiful renders that give us hopefully a good idea of what these phones are actually going to look like. Uh, I should say off the top. The uh, thumbnail for this video is based on a render by Let's Go Digital. There's a link in the description if you want to go check that out and check out the other renders they did, but that is their work and not ours. Uh, but yeah, so we kind of know what these two phones are going to look like. I'm going to, you know, rein in my excitement and maybe say let's start with the Z Fold. 
um, the rubbish one, the boring one, the one none of us really care about. Um, This looks, I mean, partly as well, because from the render of this, this isn't anything drastic. This looks pretty similar to the Z Fold 2. The left side bezel, when it's closed, looks a little bit thinner, which we expected. The camera module on the rear just has a slightly different kind of rounded design. Um, Nothing crazy, but it is a slightly different aesthetic to those kind of squared off camera dominoes Samsung has really liked recently. Um, And then the biggest change is that there is apparently an under display camera on the inside, which is exciting. Um, So that means you won't see the camera when you open it up, but there will still be a selfie camera, unlike, say, Huawei's Mate X2, which just took the camera out entirely. I'm curious about, from an engineering standpoint, how they're going to showcase how they've implemented that. Because, you know, we've already seen that the, the was it the Vivo X50? Or I forget which model had the under-display camera. Uh, no, that was before. the ZTE Axon 35G. Axon <laughs> you know where I was yeah, going, the 20, though, that sorry, device. The, the, the camera was fine, and it had to, like, work hard with algorithms to kind of iron out the kind of grill view effect that it was kind of suffering from because of the inherent physics of everything. Adding to that the kind of soft, flexible material element of a folding screen, I'm very curious to see how that impacts both camera quality and display slash camera durability. Um, so if that is true, that'd be an interesting kind of part, I think, of the presentation of all the things the Fold 3 will be bringing to the table. Yeah, because, I mean, in the ZTE, the camera was a massive compromise. Like, it was cool, yeah. but you could still see it. And it the actual selfie quality was poor, I think, is the only real way to put it. Like, yeah. it, it was a bad selfie camera. Um, and it felt very much like Gen 1 of the tech. Um, ZTE has unveiled the Axon 30 series, but curiously, not yet the Axon 30 that will have the follow-up second gen under display camera so we haven't seen their like which is like the basic yeah, member right They're exactly just the, the pro ones yeah. just have normal selfie cameras the regular 30 will have a second gen under display but we haven't seen it yet so we don't know how they've improved the tech um it's worth saying samsung has done this already but not in a phone they have put this hmm. in the i think it's called the blade bezel something like that which is a laptop um and that has the under display like an under display webcam uh, we haven't seen one ourselves. I actually haven't seen any reviews of that. I should have checked before this, but I, I think maybe no one's managed to review that. I don't think Samsung's actually, maybe it's been announced, but not actually out in the world. But that will be the interesting test really is an existing Samsung product with presumably a fairly similar setup. Yeah. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't know what else is going to bring to the table. There wasn't enough in that leak or all the renders to kind of give us more. I don't think the design looks particularly exciting. Uh, I still think the Mate X2 has it yep. beat in that regard, just with the aesthetics of these kind of book foldables. The Galaxy um, one looks a little more plain. Yeah. We've seen a couple other colors. There's a nice dark green finish uh, along with a black yeah. and a white, um, which looks fairly standard. I am on a display, uh, sorry, design perspective. I am a bit confused by the camera module because it looks very generic, and it surprises me. It's not like any other Samsung phones. Yeah, it doesn't look like anything else they've got, and especially when the S twenty one series has such a striking looking camera module that's really distinctive. I would have put money down on essentially that design carrying through to the Fold three. Yeah, there we go. And so, so if you're if you're just listening, it's that sort of you know rounded, squared off bit that goes right to the edges of the device. Um, contour, contour cut, cut, as they call thank it. Thank you. 
Uh, I would have Possibly. expected to see that. I wonder if there's a technical <laughs> reason they couldn't, but otherwise, or, or if it's really they want to distinguish it from the the S line in terms of its aesthetics. But this looks very generic in comparison. And the thought is that these devices are going to be launching together. That's what from previous rumors, like it's expected at least in the same quarter of the year they're expected yeah. to arrive. I I would be surprised um, if we don't the see the two is... foldables together. That feels like yeah. yeah. And if this document is legit, this leaked document, which I mean, having been at Samsung pre-briefs, they do do that yes. diagonal <laughs> text across the screen on all their content in those pre-briefs. So, and it looks like that's what's been ironed out. So, I'd say it's legit just based on that alone. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, the the leaks look very plausible. So I wouldn't be surprised if they're real. Yeah. Um, the other thing in there that actually we haven't mentioned is not so surprising, but S Pen support, which we thought was yeah. going to be on last year's Fold 2, and then they didn't manage to put it in, and apparently there was sort of the, the, the little leak saying it was in technical problems, they couldn't make the screen durable enough to survive sort of S Pen usage while still being a foldable. I guess they fixed that, because again, this leak shows that it will support the S Pen. Um, it looks like it will be supported in the same way that S21 Ultra supports it, which is to say no slot for it to slot into it won't be housed in the body of the phone that probably means it's a sold separately uh extra we all kind of thought this was coming though because as we know samsung's not doing a note phone this year which is obviously where it you know pivots that big screen with a stylus and it's definitely putting out the fold with an s pen feels a lot like a pivot to say if if you were waiting for the note 21 that we're not doing like Go buy, go buy this foldable instead. <laughs> do, do the upgrade. Yeah, this is all just anxiety though about like that screen. That that's even another thing to consider with this one display. Like it has to be able to support the pen, be flexible, hide a camera. I'm just getting more worried by the second. Like obviously, this is technically their what third fold device or fourth if you count the five mm. G model. Um, no, the, yeah, the, the folds have fold, just been but... three, but they refined the first one. Because it yeah. had the first, the first yeah. round. So it had depends defense. on how you count. Yeah. It's the same with the flips, actually. The, you know, yeah, had the problem. Yeah, yeah, with the screen. Yeah, the the, the numbering is weird, but um, yeah, I, I just oof. Uh, considering we haven't seen a phone, any regular phone, Galaxy phone with an under display camera yet, to then have this as the debut device for that, and the screen also has to do these mm -hmm. other things. I am yeah, just concerned about the durability and like the functionality and whether adding in one is going to compromise one of the other aspects totally. of the screen. I guess if there's a reassurance here, it's the fact that they didn't do it last year and the fact that we know they wanted to and they chose <laughs> yeah. not to suggests there is a level on which they are willing to say, no, that we can't do it well enough, so we won't do it. And that gives some hope that they're doing it this year because they can do it well enough. You know, They have figured out how to do the stylus without yeah. it messing things up. Um, they must know after the first fold nearly completely backfired from a durability perspective. Surely they're going to be super careful about only doing this if they know it's i mean maybe i'm giving them too much benefit of the doubt i don't know but i agree it makes me nervous it makes me a little especially like the with any foldable i have you know you always are a bit wary about like pressing down on the hinge area the center of the screen you know i feel much more confident on the rest of it but that central bit where i know there's a gap i'm really tentative mm, with it yeah. whenever i review a foldable i can't imagine jabbing you at that yeah, that's yeah. where it's going to be most concentrated is exactly. the center of the display as well. So, like, there's one thing with a finger. That... <laughs> Can't imagine it's okay. going to be pressure sensitive, is it? The uh, stylus, because you're not going to want to dig down oh, to start God. shading into it. <laughs> yes, that's true. No, that's... Yeah, geez. <laughs> um, so we will see. Uh, otherwise, there there have been a few previous sort of tech 
spec leaks about the Fold 3 that we can just kind of run through quickly. There's nothing really too surprising. Uh, we're expecting a Snapdragon 888 rather than an Exynos, which is a little uh, unusual. Maybe you might have thought they'd do an Exynos, but I think they've done Snapdragons for the others, so um, nothing too weird there. Uh, 256 gigabytes of storage, shock horror, never would have guessed that. Um, battery, about the same as the last two. Charging speed, 25 watts, about the same as the last two. Um, screen size we've kind of seen from the leaks, but again, it's kind of similar. The, the, the dimensions are slightly different um, to reflect the way that they're, they're trying to slightly change the shape of the form factor. And in general, the whole thing should be running like a little bit thinner and lighter, but nothing, you know, not a really substantial change there. Uh, and cameras also, other than the internal one becoming um, an under display, we're expecting the others to basically be the same. The rear camera setup is still meant to be three 12 megapixels. And I think the last week we saw on the front selfie camera was that it was literally the same one as the Fold 2. So this feels like a kind of design refinement upgrade, but keeping the core other functionality the same, but it's kind of that like the S Pen, the under display camera, and tweaking the design elements a little bit to just kind of, it's a fine tuning mm. year, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Now, the important question uh, specifically for Dom is how do you feel about what we've seen of this new Z Flip? <laughs> you know, I was very nervous about the first look at this phone. <laughs> uh, I like it. It is different. I'm curious. The, the two-tone design is not what I was expecting them to do. It's giving me Pixel 2 XL. Very strong oh, Pixel it is, 2 yeah. Empty, uh, which I like. I liked the Pixel 2 design. With, yeah. Yeah. It was a good phone. I, I like that one as well. Yeah, especially that totally. contrast. And I think it's a yeah. good way of essentially hiding the external display, um, which is yeah. to just put it, you know, the, 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 the screen is in that black element. So when it's off and you've got the phone open, it should, I expect, be functionally invisible, which I think is a good way to handle their decision to make that display bigger, which was my nervousness. I think we spoke about this before. I liked the commitment yeah. to a tiny external display that was literally just notification icons and all the talk about making that display bigger made me worry because I just thought we might be looking at a first gen fold situation where you've got this kind of screen that's halfway between and it's not quite big enough to be useful, but it's not small enough to hide and just look really ugly. I think what they've done here seems like a smart balance um, that looks, you know, big enough to read a message off of. Um, you can get more than just an icon for an app. But equally, by putting it in the black element, it will hide when it's not in use. And uh, it's still not trying to fill that whole outer section, which would just give you a kind of awkward... You know, they're not trying to pretend you're going to use your phone from that display, I guess, is what it comes down to. <laughs> yeah. Similarly to the Fold, it does seem decidedly unlike the current design mm -hmm. language that Samsung's using in its devices. Um, uh, you know, the fact I thought of a Pixel first, I think is kind of evident of that. Um, so I'm wondering whether this year we're going to see a more significant shift from the design language that was established with, I mean, if you go back, probably the S, yeah, the S10, no, S20 um, kind of had, you know, really kind of solidified yep. the domino look. And then they've kind of evolved that with the S21. I wonder whether this second half of the year or this this new set of products is going to be a new design language again that we'll then see on other products that aren't quite as kind of innovation first. It, would, it, it surprised me at first, and I always thought that the, the foldables would be led by the S phones. 
from an aesthetic perspective. Yes, same. And the more I thought about it, the more I think maybe it makes sense to do it this way. Because again, if they're just trying to establish, if you just take away the fact that it's foldable versus regular and think of it as like tiers, where the foldables are their top tier phones, in a way it suddenly makes sense. Mm -hmm. You want your top tier ones to be the ones that are introducing new things that then roll out further down. And I'm sure they don't want the narrative to be the S series is like the second tier, you know, um, they still want everyone to think of that as flagships first and foremost. But it equally, you know, the foldables cost more. They are more premium. They are the tier up. And so it kind of makes some sense if they're going to use that as their, like, you know, they lead with that. That's the one that introduces new design language and new aesthetic that then trickles down into the S's and, and then into the A's. Yeah. Uh, as a reminder for those listening, there, there is a thought that the Flip 3, which is what we're assuming this is called... Um, will be a more affordable foldable from Samsung mm -hmm. than we've seen so far. Uh, that's probably not going to mean it's going to go below a thousand pounds dollars. I can't imagine <laughs> no. it's going to hit that low, but, I, but cheaper. I can see which, going from 1400 I mean, to 1200, something like that. that yeah, kind of a drop. exactly. That feels yeah. much yeah. more yeah. suitable. 1400 to 1399. <laughs> 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 but you, you know, it becomes an interesting proposition when your choice especially if you're buying it on contract, becomes a kind of, you know, should I go for the the, the, the flagship, um, you know, normal candy bar style phone or should I go for the uh, flip one? Should I go for the clamshell? You know, you, you've actually got the same, it's the same price. Mm. You've got yeah. the choice of two And that's phones. where it's not been so far, except with the, like, the really top, you know, a top spec ultra kind of begins to match the cheaper foldables. But as they come more in line, mm -hmm. totally, people actually having that choice and, and it becoming a real not always having to pay extra for, for a foldable. And that's what we need for that bit of the market to become real and not just a kind of luxury niche. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. A novelty. Um, it'll be a long time before it works down even below a thousand, I think. Um, I don't think that's happening oh, yeah. too soon. Um, but I'm very excited to see it become a little bit more attainable. Um, it is telling, I think I've spoken before, like the Z Flip in the UK has already dropped to half its price on, on Amazon. So the Samsung is still selling it at full price, but you know, for a while, at least it was 700 pounds on Amazon, which I do worry says something about how many people are actually buying these things. Um, you know, mm. generally speaking, I mean, at that price, at that price, suddenly maybe they, they are, too surprised, um, <laughs> but you know, clearly at full price, it makes you worry that they weren't. And that's why Amazon started, uh, slashing hundreds off. Um, but I think it's more, more, Huawei than perhaps Samsung, uh, just because of the sheer like extreme mm -hmm. price of the Mate X2. But I think it's more a case of saying we're in the space and we're being first in certain areas. It's more of a showpiece than it is a product that they're actually intending on selling in any any significant fashion. And that I think is true of the Samsung stuff too. It's just you know exceptionally true of the Huawei foldables because they are so much more expensive than the rest of the foldables that are already expensive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we, we spoke about that in relation to the, the Xiaomi Mi Mix Fold, that that's this kind of competition in China that might force Huawei to start dragging its prices down or offering some cheaper alternative because they're suddenly being incredibly undercut by Xiaomi. Um, and that, you know, maybe Xiaomi's not pivoting, you know, not, not positioning as much as a, a luxury device, but it is still up there. Um, so I'm curious to see how they kind of, how they respond to that. Um, the other specs on the Z Flip 2 slash 3, I think 3 does seem to be settling down as mm. what it's going to be, but um, 
yeah, bigger outer display, which we've kind of seen in those renders, um, upgraded hinge and things like that. There's been a lot of talk that the battery is going to get bigger, uh, which would be welcome. That was definitely a weak point on the original. It was a kind of just about last today phone, but uh, you know, you'd ideally like it to be a little bit more than that because that's always the if it just about launches at last a day when it's brand new, then it won't take very long for it to not be a full day use device. Um, but we are still expecting it to have that same like twin battery setup where there's one in each half. Um, and everyone's expecting the Snapdragon 888, which is in a way not that surprising, but in another sense is because actually the initial, the first Z Flip didn't use the latest chipset at that point. It used sort of an, an old, one gen older model. Um, but I think everyone's expecting basically this one to be positioned more like the Fold in terms of it actually has all the latest specs, um, but just mm. you're kind of picking the form factor between the two. Um, and to some extent camera, because this is only going to have two cameras on it. Um, we haven't seen any suggestion of uh, under-display camera on the inside for this one, though. I think the, the renders show there is actually a, a lens there, right? Yeah, like yep. the current flip, basically. It's the same yeah. in the middle. Um, yeah. Any expectations or, or, or hopes for what the rear cameras are in terms of a main and an ultra wide, main telephoto, main and a macro, kind of like a Find X3 Pro? Like, no. Any preferences? <laughs> if you don't here? do no. it, has got to be a main and a Don't even do it. Surely. <laughs> That's the only acceptable two camera setup. Uh, yeah. Oh, after, yeah. After that, um, when, when the Pixel did Pixel. the main and the telephoto, it was just like, no, yeah. this is clearly of the two options, the less useful. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that will always be, in a funny way, the compromise with the flip, I guess, is I think they'll always struggle to put more lenses on it just because of the design and the space. And I'm very curious to see if they do try and move mm -hmm. to three lenses next year, say, because I'd, I'd worry about how you're going to make those work and make it still still fit and still look nice, especially when, if you've got to carve out space for a display in that area as well. Um, so that will always feel like the compromise. I mean... If memory serves, because I'm pretty sure I owned this back before Android was even a word that we used in terms of smartphones, uh, or, or even smartphones were a term yeah. that we used. I had, I think, was the thinnest clamshell phone <laughs> at the time, and that was a Samsung oh, really? phone. I think Samsung technically has a history, yeah. Uh, but I unearthed it the other day. If I could find it, I'll get it on a future app. Maybe when we talk mm. about the Z Flip 3 next time round, next rumor. But uh, they have there is kind of a precedent set for them you know, innovating and, and looking to get the thinnest foldables. And I wouldn't be surprised if once this is more of an established category, that that is what happens with the flip range, if it's called the flip range, you know, that Samsung is the one that tries to push for a thinness and a design, even at the expense of, you know, superior OIS stabilized cameras so and that kind of I, stuff. I think to some extent, they'll probably always end up positioning the flip as a little bit more like a fashion phone design led. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That kind yeah. of space where it's it's not the one for for top 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 specs, and the fold will kind of deliver that a bit more, or maybe just that will stay with the S's for a while. Because it is worth worth noting in comparison to the Mate X2, the Huawei having spoken about that. You know, one of the things I said about that was you are getting a zero compromise camera with that. That has you know as good a camera mm -hmm. as any Huawei slab phone. Um, and again on the fold, that doesn't look to be the case. It's three 12 megapixel it's shooters. True, I think it? this will probably be roughly on a par with the standard s21 it's not going to have that 64 meg one that that's got so maybe not as good as the standard s21 but it's definitely not going to be in any way competing with the s21 ultra as a camera device 
So that is a strategic difference between Samsung and Huawei that is interesting. I think the big question is, is it going to be purple? (laughs) (laughs) I think there was a shot of a purple one in one of the leaked images. Yeah, a kind of lilac-y. Because it's a photo of a screen, yeah. it's so hard to gauge what the colour yeah. should be. Like the colour size of that image. Let me get this it's on screen like so everybody dress, else can you know? see. <laughs> Give me one I, It does look there like a very light yeah. lilac to me. Um, yeah. It does look yeah slightly purple, but it's not the shiny, lovely purple of, of this generation's no, one, is it's it? It's not the same. <laughs> but it, they look like they've gone more matte with the colours in general rather than glossy. Those all look like they're mm-hmm. matte I'm down finishes. For that. Um, I would like a, you know... Pur- purplier purple than that personally but you know i'll, I'll settle if samsung want to send me one of those i, you know, I wouldn't throw it away <laughs> not gonna complain are we <laughs> to your point about it being a fashion maybe like it's like the fashion first device or the, the designer device like thinking back you know the s21 range signature color was this phantom mm. violet but the z flip was the first of the kind of recent violet phones that you know that was the poster child was the the purple one i know it also yeah. came in black yeah. um and i think you got to review the purple, purple one. Z yeah, flip, didn't you, it. yeah of course but i'm guessing it was a fingerprint <laughs> oh totally yeah. in terms of fingerprint yeah, yeah. yeah so if it's matte great no in, in general one. i think Lovely. matte finishes are probably a better idea though you can have some matte finishes oh, that yeah. are very fingerprinty it doesn't always uh guarantee anything yeah it's weird but uh in mm-hmm. theory it's easier to <laughs> to get them that way with matte Anyway, I am excited. I think this looks pretty solid. (laughs) Uh, I'm looking forward to get a proper look at something official. Obviously, this is all leaks and renders, and there is at least a small chance that absolutely all of this is wrong. Um, But I think think that looks unlikely at this point. Uh, Probably time to move on to this Apple Epic lawsuit. Um, So maybe it's probably good to start with a quick recap there. Um, This is... This was all started by Epic, essentially, who sued Apple a while ago um, after basically baiting Apple into banning them from the iOS app store. Um, They they took issue with the way Apple handles uh, in-app purchases and the idea that for in-app purchases through app store apps, including games, you have to use Apple's payment systems. You can't um, like link, you can't use your own external payment systems. You can't link to external payment systems. You can't even tell customers that there are other payment options. You have to present the Apple one as the only thing. Um, Epic basically ignored that, threw in their own payment options for buying uh, <laughs> V Bucks and Fortnite. Apple kicked them off the App Store, and then uh, Epic responded with an antitrust lawsuit, basically, which had clearly been the plan all along. Um, it's taken a while, obviously, as this stuff rolls out slowly, but the lawsuit was actually kicked off this week, um, and it's unearthed a load of stuff already. Uh, partly, there was a little bit before everything went to trial because of all the discovery documents that have been brought in, uh, which unveiled a lot, particularly in the gaming space, and I don't want to dwell on that, but there was some interesting discussion there about uh, cross-play and things like that that ended up dragging Sony into the mix because they had to bring in you know, documents that, you know, emails between Epic and Sony that ended up tying in about who'd paid who to make crossplay happen and, and how that worked. Uh, and there's a lot of funny emails from Epic to other people that reveal Epic has quite an, uh, I think it's fair to say, aggressive tone in the way it um, tri- deals with partners. Maybe bullish is is fairer. Um, yeah. But I think the things that really interested me and made me want to talk about on the show were actually what came out, funny enough, of Microsoft taking the stand. Um, and yeah. this was kind of kicked off by them talking about Xbox 
Um, but that does bear like relation to mobile, so bear with me. Um, in two ways. One, there was discussion about the Project X Cloud streaming stuff and the way that Apple uh, basically, after kind of working with Microsoft a bit to let them build an app for X Cloud, they then turned around and changed their mind and said, no, it violates our terms. You can't do that. Um, and pitched a web app alternative, which is what's happening, but Microsoft understandably think it's inferior, and this became a big talking point as to web apps versus native apps. And, you know, it, are they the same thing? Is one preferential to the other? Um, and then the second aspect I want to discuss is something that came out of Microsoft's pitch that the Xbox is fundamentally different to the iPhone because Xbox has its own walled garden ecosystem. There's only one app store on an Xbox. Microsoft takes a cut of every transaction. They even admitted, interestingly, that they have never made money selling Xbox hardware and that they only turn a profit because of the cut they take and all of that stuff. Um, so it's essential to how they function. Obviously, Apple's response is, well, that's the same thing we do. You know, why is it any different? Um, and a lot hinged from Microsoft's perspective on the idea that an Xbox is a specific purpose device so it's more feasible to have a specific store and have it be very walled in and managed and constrained. And that they treat Windows different because Windows is multi-purpose. So the question then becomes, well, is an iPhone a specific purpose device or a general purpose device? You know, do you buy an iPhone to use for one thing and hence Apple can justifiably shut it all down? Or do you use an iPhone for many things and those, there should be many ways to get software? Um, I think there's a really obvious answer to that question. It's probably not the one Apple likes. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, yeah. just thinking about when I, when I learned that, I think on Flickr, because you could see which are the most popular cameras in terms of uploads and like their rankings, I think it was like the top three devices mm. were iPhones. Top three cameras were iPhones uploading to Flickr. So like there in and of itself is one admission if Apple, you know, is refusing exactly. to admit yeah. the truth. I mean, you just have to watch any <laughs> Apple event and the ways they market all the things you can do with your iPhone to see that this is not a, you know, specific purpose device, right? Yeah, 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 that's right. There's there's almost no way that you can argue that it is a specific purpose device. Um, and, you know, their, their own, like you say, their own marketing almost undoes <laughs> that argument. It's certainly not a phone. It, it would, exactly. If any, if you want to pitch that it's one thing and it's a phone, <laughs> then that's the least it is. <clears throat> and often the bit that it does the worst at. Um, it is worth caveating this, yeah. to be fair. I, I haven't been following the trial as closely as I'd like to. I've been just reading um, mostly The Verge's excellent reporting on it. Um, and yeah. from the best as I understand, this is basically Microsoft talking about how it treats windows and xbox differently and why it treats them differently so i don't think it's yet become clear that the you know win or lose of this trial is going to hinge on this single purpose multi-purpose thing it's kind of it was microsoft justifying why it treats the xbox and windows ecosystems differently um, and the points where they overlap but it definitely lends to that question of it, it undermines apple's we're doing the same as everything else defense um which apple basically opened with by kind of saying look if 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 we lose this lawsuit then you, Google, Microsoft, Sony, and uh, Nintendo, you're all screwed too because you're doing the same thing we are. And um, this was essentially Microsoft kind of heading back with, no, 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 what we do is different. Like, an Xbox is not an iPhone. Um, I Yeah, I, I think I'll be curious to see how that plays out in the next couple of days. I think Microsoft had done testifying, though I, I'm sure this kind of conversation is going to loop back. 
I don't know whether even Nintendo or anyone from Nintendo or Sony are actually going to be taking the stand at any point. Um, but there is the challenge there where you kind of look and you can, you know, if, if Apple wants to push back, they can point to the fact that, look, you know, Xboxes have multimedia apps, loads of them, um, you know, and, and so do these other consoles. And as much as you may want to say they're a single purpose device, for a long time at least, Microsoft's aim was to pitch the Xbox as your like living room media hub. Um, and, uh, you know, with connect and you just walk up and it yeah. will know your profile and love you. But, you know, they've all got Netflix on them. Uh, well, not the switch, but you know, they have Netflix, they have Disney plus, they have, you know, Amazon prime video. So they're obviously not as multi-purpose as a phone is, but you could start to see that argument, the line break down a little bit and kind of say, well, if you want to take that line, why do you have anything that's not a video game on your platform? I mean, there's there's legal implications for for redefining categorization like this. There's, there's reasons why, uh, say, like Canon's DSLRs versus Canon's dedicated video cameras can only record a certain length of single clip footage before they chop it, and that's that's not a, a hardware constraint so much as it is a legal constraint. Depending on what happens in the court, you know, these sort of weird, weird spe- specific kind of uh, limitations. Uh, could get imposed or, or or lifted, but probably imposed in terms of the way things go going forward. You know, um, with the talk of the, I think that the digital storefront has always been one of the fundamental issues with with all of the companies taking umbrage mm-hmm. with Apple because it's it's about being able to sell their content through Apple's device via a portal that they you know offer up, be it on the App Store or or a web app. But obviously, it's it's when it's on the App Store that is the issue. Um, so yeah, it's just the the definitions. I'd be a bit wary or worried about what the courts might decide um, in terms of how they define these products, how they define what these products can serve to users, and whether it will change because of what the verdict is. Absolutely. What about the the, the question also of like okay, the the, the technical or it doesn't kind of. Um, what, the, what I'm trying to say is, what, what's the difference to the consumer? What's the difference to the gamer um, if, if Apple wins? Is it bad for the consumer, for the gamer, or is it better? If you're an Apple Arcade user, probably no difference, really. You're having a great time, <laughs> yeah. whatever, right? So, yeah, it doesn't matter, does them. it? I mean, what, I suppose, yeah, <laughs> as, long, as long as they can still get Fortnite and play it. Yeah, yeah. Because um, in terms of the web app thing, you know, uh, Stadia on iPad is two apps. You know, there's the app, which is the store where you can browse. And I think you can buy through, and I don't know if it has that 40% Apple premium, I'm not aware, but you can't stream the game through that app. You have to then add in a separate web app just for the streaming segment. Um, I don't know why we haven't seen that. That be the the solution to to Xbox. I know they've talked about it now with xCloud and and stuff like that. What they are doing now is is a web app version. Um, I don't know if they're also going to have a sort of portal app that takes you to that or not um mm. but yeah essentially they're, they're currently beta testing the iphone version which is entirely accessed through your browser um this and this again was part of what came up in the, in the trial was this question because part of apple's defense was kind of well look, you can do you can do a web app you know if you don't like our app store guidelines fine make a web app you know we, we will let you do that we'll help you do that um and part of the question is whether that's at all equitable uh, part of the response from uh, has been pointed out that you can't have push notifications coming out of a web app. 
um, which kind of immediately makes them a, a second tier compared to the native apps you've got yeah. on your phone that can, can have all that notification access. Um, and Any social exactly, features. A lot of tie-in stuff that you just can't yeah. do yeah. as easily. Um, and one of the other kind of question marks is I, I hadn't realized is that actually Apple still controls a lot of the web browser experience on iPhones because while you can install third-party browsers, they all run off of like the Safari base code essentially. So there's yeah, still a yeah. question of like if Apple, you can only support the features that Apple puts into Safari. Essentially, it still becomes this real like limit where Apple gets to again like declare what you can or can't do on your your iOS you know web app experience, um, and they can still kind of keep those in in a second tier. One of my, I mean, I oh, use. I'll say I use uh, the GeForce Now mm-hmm. web app. And I was actually quite surprised by how smoothly it ran because my experience traditionally with web apps is that they're essentially just, you know, they're just websites more than yeah. apps. You know, thing, you tap on it, the whole page reloads and stuff like that. But uh, with with GeForce now, it, it does act for the most part like an app would. You don't, it doesn't display in a Safari window mm-hmm. or anything like that. Uh, once you've added it to your home screen, it's got an app icon and it opens up full screen in a separate thing to Safari. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's no doubt a pain in the ass. Uh, for the people that are developing these things because it's yet another platform or another thing that they've got to work around. But I think in terms of the end experience for cloud game streaming services like GeForce Now, obviously Stadia is a little bit different because there's a little bit more of a social element. But with Stadia, uh, with uh, GeForce Now, there isn't any social element to it. It's all just, you know, you connect into your different libraries or whatever. There's no kind of central system in that. So I think it depends on the service because for GeForce Now, I don't think it's really that detrimental to the overall experience that funny enough did come up not geforce now specifically but there was some discussion in the trial of uh i'm not sure if it was i guess the lawyer for apple i'm not sure brought up um user reviews of a uh one of the web app streaming services being very very positive and it was kind of if the pitch is we're being shunted into the second tier experience and then it was kind of well how do you account for all these reviews that say this like web app streaming experience is great (laughs) you know it works really well um, maybe it's not so bad after all. Um, and that's kind of an interesting, if, if they've worked as hard as they can to overcome the limits and shot themselves yeah. in the foot. Yeah. I mean, the question is, is Apple doing a bad thing by saying, if you don't want to follow our guidelines, go and make a web app? Because isn't this just going to open the door for all kind of, all like, you know, apps, web apps now that aren't, wouldn't be allowed on the app store? They're now going to yeah. circumvent it and make their way onto iPhones and iPads. Just give the Safari team more work to do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We want our web app to do these eight things that our apps could already do, but you're not going to let us have our app on the App Store. Do it now. Thank Uh, you. (laughs) Alex Edwards in the comments, the fundamental question is, what do we want the outcome to be? And I've been trying to kind of figure out what is the most positive outcome. And I don't know if there's an easy answer for that. I mean, the least amount of change probably in the favor of, of companies like Epic and, you know, the people hosting content or, or serving content via the app store would be to just for Apple to do what uh, I think Microsoft did recently, a kind of in light of all this, which, which is lower the amount it takes mm-hmm. from transactions through, you know, mm-hmm. apps served from the app store. Um, so I guess that would be the most amicable and the least disruptive solution, whether that's the best solution. I mean, it just really depends whose side you're on, uh, you know, 
you could argue Apple makes enough money, if that's such a thing in capitalism, uh, <laughs> that, that they could probably waive the fee on these sorts of platforms and still be okay. And, yeah. you know, then they would actually swing the other way and we would probably get more choice on the App Store from other sources yep. in terms of the kind of, you know, platforms that could serve content, be it gaming or something else. Um, in a roundabout way, it, it, it could turn into a net positive, but... You know, that's that's a long term and that's a what if scenario in terms of more immediate. I imagine the best solution would just be for Apple to be willing to drop the cut it takes, even if there is still a premium on having your store hosted through the app store. You know, think of it as an app store accessibility or service fee. Like that's not too crazy mm -hmm. to me. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my expectation, I guess. I don't know if it's my hope, but my expectation. What about you guys? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I think I mean, if, if Apple wins fundamentally the status quo remains exactly the same um and then yeah. the only real question at that point is does epic sort of sheepishly put fortnite back on the app store um or or does it does <laughs> yeah, it that's, you know, that's take the only option isn't it really? and say, well, <laughs> yeah. screw you you'll just never put fortnite back on ios um it, yeah if they if there's some sort of settlement or if epic wins the thing is, there's just so many ways it could go and so many ways that could play out in a way i hope that is what happens because i think I think some sort of disruption and change to that market is probably a good thing. And I do think the 30% cut as it stands is, is kind of extortionate. Um, and it's worth saying Google does the yeah. same thing. Google is not in any way. And realistically, however this ends, the same thing will then happen to Google, either because they get forced into it by a lawsuit or they have to just do the same thing Apple does to avoid the inevitable lawsuit. Um, They've kept strangely quiet. Actually, since yeah. this has been developed. <laughs> Funny there that. was one funny thing that was yeah. like on a Google side was basically a kind of acknowledgement in the trial that uh, for some specific element, uh, Google had the exact same policy. They just didn't enforce it as rigidly as Apple did. And that's kind of how you could get away with right. it a bit more on Android. Their just enforcement was weaker, whether intentionally or not. Um, but yeah, I think probably the, the least disruptive change <clears throat> would be Apple drops its cut from 30 to 20 or whatever. And honestly, I think people would kind of accept that um it did even come out in the in you know the trial at one point that epic admitted that if they were given a they've talked a lot about how they're doing this for all developers but they did admit that if they were given a <laughs> private deal that reduced the commission for them and no one else they would have taken it um that just undercuts sure, everything really so it? clearly <laughs> that's a whole yeah. issue so clearly if they if it just you know if it was just apple cuts from 30 to 20 probably everyone would say yeah fine that works let's move on i think it'd be more interesting if it, they get forced to allow alternative payment um methods um i think it, the biggest change i can imagine that seems unlikely is they get forced to allow alternative storefronts um i can't mm. see that happening that that feels you know too big and too unnecessary a shift no. and I, I don't think anyone's yeah. really pushing for that but i i could definitely no. see there being a shift that says apple need to let you let users pay through other means that don't go through Apple. Yeah, or at least talk about it. It's going to be dropping to 15% in July, by the Sorry, way. Sorry, say that again. Google is going to drop to 15% in July. Oh, I missed that. Cuts. Okay, yeah. Apparently, yeah. Interesting. Mm. I mean, one of the interesting things about the whole situation is, you know, if you bring it back to um, Huawei as well, you know, the part of the problem is um, for users at the moment, no one's going to buy a, a new Huawei phone because you can't get the Google um, app store, you can't get the Play Store. But if, if everything was a web app, it wouldn't make any difference. That's true, actually. Yeah, yeah. suddenly everything becomes accessible on your, on your Huawei device anyway. 
Um, well, that was that was Firefox OS in a nutshell, wasn't it? It was all meant mm. to be just web apps with yeah. an offline environment yeah, that they could run I've in. Forgotten, I've forgotten about Firefox yeah. OS. Um, <laughs> You're probably not the only person. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's, there's a point in the comments that I just want to, I think we need to move on soon. But uh, from, from A. Smith, yeah, says, yeah, Epic needs do. to pay up or leave the App Store. Uh, there's no free lunch. It's called the free market. And the kind of interesting thing here is, I think basically what the funny thing is, is on the whole, there's a free market, but it's a free market made up of several completely unfree markets. <clears throat> And what it is, is that there's a free market of what phones people buy, but then people buy their phone and then that market is locked in. So like if you're an app developer and you want to do it, it's all very well to say, well, you know, either, either, you know, go for it or don't. But it's like, well, the only way I can succeed is if I access the like 30% of people in the world using iPhones. But if I do that, I have to just go on Apple's terms and I have zero choice. But if I don't do that, there is no way to be a profitable app maker, you know. Um, so actually, in a way, like the market is a lot less free than it looks like. And that is what a lot of this is kind of hinged on. There are, you know, some testimony from people yeah. kind of saying that yeah. like, they felt like they didn't have a choice. If you didn't put your app on iPhone, you wouldn't succeed. Like it was just impossible yeah. to succeed without an iPhone app. But you can't do an iPhone app without agreeing to Apple's, you know, draconian terms. Uh, there's also the fact that everyone on the App Store who is trying to compete or with each other also are competing with apple in terms of apple mm. i know it's not particularly the most loved or revered platform but you know they are a competitor in the game space or game publishing space as well by having well totally and this is spotify this is what a lot of spotify's complaint hinges on which is that they're they're, yeah. they're having to agree to yeah. apple's terms because spotify is also dealing with them in an, uh, an antitrust thing in the eu right now there's a spotify apple thing playing out and that hinges on that that apple gets to control spotify's payment terms but also runs a spotify competitor service in apple music uh there's apple tv plus a competitive mm. service to netflix and disney plus and all of them so they also you know could have skin yeah. in the game and all of this so that is part of the the contention is apple can both can basically set terms for its own direct competitors um which goes right back into all the stuff we had about browsers back in the day again it was the same issue microsoft you know did windows but also you know set the browser for the os and so you know, it was setting terms for its own competitors in a space. And this is kind of what we're seeing playing out again and again and again. It's it's all cyclical. Um, and this is actually a uh, Android perfect segue the... I'm going to take oh. because this yeah, is fine. also <laughs> one of the contentions in our next topic. Because at this very moment, there is also another antitrust suit against Apple from Tile. <laughs> also complains about the exact same thing, which is that they have to run their service um, through the App Store. Uh, Apple has invited them to join FindMy and link tiles into that. But Apple also just unveiled its own tile competitive product, the AirTag. Um, so tile have this exact same problem here. Uh, Lewis, I can see you've got one clutch there. Um, here it is. I, that's that's the shiny. That's an Apple tag, not the uh, luxury <laughs> five hundred like pound Hermes leather tag. I it? wish. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. No, it's the thirty-five pound leather. Yeah, one. that's fair. Uh, so a little bit cheaper. Um, there's a few things I think I want to talk about with the AirTag, but maybe let's just start with like the broad strokes. How is it? How does it work? Is it good? Here it is. Does it do what it should do? Yeah, I mean, I like it. I think. I, I mean, I'm going to say initial, uh, like first uh, right off the bat that I haven't used all of the trackers on the market. I've used a tile for a while in the past, um, but I'm not the kind of person that tracks all of my things. Um, but with all that out of the way, I have quite enjoyed having this. It's, it's, it's kind of, there's, there's the added peace of mind of having, you know, when you've got this hooked up to your car keys and you know, you can always get people to find them. Cause for me anyway, 
always lose these. Um, it, it, you know, I should say that it's iPhone only. So if you've got an Android, there's no point in even looking at them because you can't set them up. You can't do anything. All you can do is identify a lost AirTag, which is handy. But yeah, you can't use it on Android. Um, the setup's really easy. You just pull out, you, you take it out of the box. There's a little plastic tab uh, on the back that you kind of pull out and then it activates it. It makes a nice little chime and then you just bring it within two centimeters of your phone. Um, and then it will just kind of pop up on screen. You take you through the process and it takes literally less than 30 seconds to set up and then you're good to yeah, go. That is always one of the so from that like standpoint, strong suits, right? Yeah, exactly. You don't have to open an app. Nothing has to be done whatsoever. You don't even have to open the find my app afterwards. Mm. It's an optional thing. It's like, you can just close this now. It's cool. done. Don't worry about it until you need to. Nice. <laughs> um, but I suppose the, the big thing that separates the AirTag uh, from everything else is the U1 chip and the precision finding that it enables. Um, so that the U1 chip is... Oh, that's fine. Just my phone rings. Why did I not put that on? Do not disturb. Um, so yeah, the, the uh, U1 chip is in the iPhone 11 and the iPhone 12 series. So you've got a few iPhones that can access it, but obviously those with the um, the 10s and earlier than that, they don't have access to any of this kind of fun stuff. But if you do have a recent iPhone, um, when you're within about 40 foot range, so basically kind of if you're at home and, and you've lost your keys or you've lost your wallet, you're not quite sure where they are, you open the Find My App, tap on the item and then tap Find It. And then using the uh, U1 chip, which relies on ultra wideband tech, it also uses your phone's gyroscope and the camera to kind of get an idea of what's going on around you. It'll then direct you to your AirTag with impressive kind of accuracy uh, down to like, you know, 0.1 foot to the right. And you'll have an arrow that points you in that direction. So it is really like that um, kind of, you know, so that makes the movie trackers thing. You're looking at a screen and it's just pointing an arrow like that yeah. way, 20 feet away, kind of. Let me see. It's, this is what I mean, like, like I was about to say. It's very alien. It actually... there's, uh, you know, there's one in the vents. Um... <laughs> yeah. Oh, my keys are in the vents. My backpacks. So now I've got to flip this around so you can see the screen. Yeah. So that's car keys. It's, it's yeah. uh, They're here. Oh, yeah. Right here. <laughs> 0 0.3, 0 0.2. And then there they are. The refresh yeah. of that yeah. is impressive. How quickly yeah, that updates. That's so, pretty cool. Yeah. And then it's gone over again. Have you tried, but, Lewis, getting somebody to hide it and then try yes. and find it? Yeah, that was the first thing I so, did when I got it. Because that's the that's the best test. If you haven't actually lost something, then you know where it is anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, uh, so so I will say um, 40 foot is kind of the ideal. If you're in an open space, it will connect up to 40 foot away. But I found that when you introduce things like walls and doors and other elements that get in between you and the air tank, uh, that range yeah. does drop yeah. uh, down to sometimes as little as 10 foot away in my experience. So you do have to be pretty close um, if if... Yeah, you're in that one of those situations. Obviously, you've also got a chime that you you can uh, rely on as well. So if if it's lost, you can go on the Find My App tab, you know, make a sound, and it will kind of chirp away um, to alert you to its presence, uh, which is cool considering it doesn't actually have a speaker. It uses the actual housing of the AirTag itself, so the round oh. housing of this top part uh, to amplify the sound. So there's no speaker yeah. channel on the AirTag, which is so very Apple. <laughs> and it also means it's, it... it's IP67 water resistant as well, because there's no holes or anything for it to go nice. into. Is it loud enough? Because obviously like that was a thing that from generation to generation, and I'm sure Jim, you can confirm, like, I can't remember the percentage, but like they talked about how each gen they made the speaker inside louder by mm -hmm. 
whatever percent. And that yeah, was obviously one of the it was always hits. about 50 percent, wasn't it? Right, so that's a pretty big jump. Every, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's it's loud enough um, that you'll be able to hear it if you're in the same room, even if it's kind of covered with something like a t-shirt or a jacket or something like that. If it's you know if it's on your keys and it's just underneath something, but it does start to get a little bit muffled as you're kind of looking at things like if it's fallen down the side of the sofa or something like that, where it's kind of more compact and out of the way, you you, you kind of start yeah. to lose that noise a little bit. Um, I think the, only, the, the big kind of drawback um, compared to most of the competitors is that this doesn't alert you when you're going out of range, which is kind of oh. basic functionality for a tracker. Yeah, normally... So- on rivals, uh, I mean, again, other people can confirm. I never use these things, but you would get like an alert, like you've left your keys behind, you know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So if you yeah, if you exactly. walk out of a coffee shop, you've left your keys, you'll get you know a few foot down the road, and you'll be like, oh wait, forgotten yeah. that. Rather than driving two miles yeah. away, and then <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, you think, or you arrive at your destination, you go, oh, where's my keys, and then yeah, you check, yeah. oh, they're, they're back where I where I started. <laughs> yeah. So so is it active? Like, does it is it only if you look for it in the Find My app will you be like, oh my my things over here or like how how does it how do you know um, when you've lost something if you, if you haven't yet like realized on your person that you're i think you have to just realize essentially <laughs> yeah. i mean that when is, you go into the that, items that's the, the floor yeah that's pretty big <laughs> yeah because when you go into the items uh a uh, section of the find my app you'll have them all listed there and you'll see that they're not with you yeah. you'll see that on the, you know, there's another dot on the map where they are and you'll be like ah oh, right there <laughs> All the way over there. I'm at home. <laughs> um, my my um, suspicion is that this is going to get added in by a software update because it's such an oversight it's too from Apple's to not, yeah. part. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, um, I'll give you an. I mean, one of the um, uh, things I noticed when I've tested the rivals is that they. I often turn that feature off because it's not reliable uh, enough. You know, mm-hmm. it gives you too many right. false positives. Yeah. Like it's you know, it's, it's alerting you when you haven't left it behind. Yeah. Or it's not reliable in alerting you, and you do end up driving a couple of miles away, and then it's like, oh, you've forgotten your wallet. This oh, is well, my wallet. Told me when I was, you know, outside the house, not mm-hmm. two yeah. miles away. So I think Apple's, if anything, is possibly working on making sure it actually works properly before adding that feature. Yeah, because in my mind, I disabled that straight away because I know that I walk past, you know, my keys hang up at the front of my house. I'll walk to them. I'll reconnect as I'm going upstairs, and then as I get away from them, I'll be like, "You've what, you've lost your keys," and I'm like, "No, they're hanging <laughs> yeah. up." <laughs> so I'm I'm in no rush for that feature personally, but I know there are a lot of people that do expect that kind of thing as standard when you get in a tracker. So um, the other big, so let's talk about some of the yeah, other. So I, I was going to say that the other big oh, you know feature I think in my head to talk about is the long range precision tracking that's basically driven by the Find yep. My network, right? Because I think in a lot of ways that's yes. the USP here tile does the same yeah. thing yeah. but the tile network is a fraction of the size of apple's network yeah and, and tiles is the biggest of yeah. its rivals and its rivals are even smaller <laughs> yeah. yeah uh so so just to recap on that um with with tile and all the other competitors with with yeah so chipolo and tile you need the apps installed on your phone uh yeah. Yeah, and then for that to be in range of of the accessory to get the location update within Bluetooth range. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's maybe re- it is all Bluetooth. What this essentially is, it's basically that if if the tracker is is out there in the middle of nowhere and you're way away from it, you're way out of Bluetooth range of it yourself. If it's in range of, for the AirTags case, if it's in range of a compatible iPhone, essentially for Tiles case, mm-hmm. if it's in range of a, an, an app, a, you know, a Tile app on a phone, 
it will then use that to give you an approximate location so that even though you might be on the other side of the country even from your tracker as long as someone with the right app or the right phone is nearby you'll be able to see because it's bouncing the signals off them and yeah the apple advantage here is yeah there are a lot of iphones in the world there are not nearly as many tile users in the world no no um so according to apple um there are over a billion iphones and ipads that can ping locations of your air tags back to you and that's only going to get bigger as more iphones and ipads Mm -hmm. are sold so if from that perspective this is kind of why the air tag for me is the big one because you've got that reliability over kind of a wider you know uh area i suppose uh, you know if you know if i if i lose my keys basically anywhere in london i have 100% confidence that that location will be updated constantly because there are so many people with iPhones and iPads just wandering around it does um obviously become a little bit less reliable as you go into the countryside and more rural areas but that's just that's the same with all trackers because you need to have technology around to be able to update these things because that's how they last well, so long because they don't actually have you're wrong oh. this is what I, this, is, this is what i was going to talk about the vodafone curve that i just reviewed and of course any other gps tracker because the floor um, with look you've just pointed it out if it is out of range of Bluetooth, let's say that you, I don't know, you walk through a field and you, you drop something valuable, or indeed you're trying to track something else, like a like a dog or a, or a cat or something, and then yeah. that's going through a field and it decides that it's going to stay there well out of you know Bluetooth range of anyone driving past or walking past on the road. Where GPS trackers come into their own is they don't require, they don't rely on anything else except GPS and uh, an embedded SIM so that it can send that signal back to your phone. So you can track a, 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 your GPS tracker without relying on anyone else. As long as it's got a phone signal and as long as it's got battery power, you can see exactly where it is. And the Vodafone Curve, for example, uh, is cheaper than the AirTag. Is that just one upfront cost, though, or do you have to pay like a monthly sub? Ah, so obviously to have your mobile data, (laughs) you do have to pay a couple of quid every month, but it is only £2 a month, which seems to me like, you know... It's not bad. It's not bad, considering... Uh, you know, how much did you say that your holder there for your AirTag cost? So yeah, more this, than, this is more than the AirTag. Yeah, thirty-five pounds <laughs> for this, which is what was um, going. I was going to get to in a bit. Is, is so definitely that's a roughly that's roughly the cost of uh, using your Vodafone Curve for yeah. a whole year. I guess that that definitely makes <laughs> more fact, sense for. I mean, you gave the use case of like a pet, something like that, where it's maybe its location is more unpredictable. I'd say that GPS tracker model yeah. makes more sense. Or if you live somewhere rural and you know you've got that big risk of uh yeah. it being even your keys being left in the middle of a field where where there's nothing else in range. Um obviously think... not so rural that there's no mobile signal, otherwise <laughs> it's also useless. True. In terms of becoming mainstream, like the categorization I think is what we're starting to see now. Like because Bluetooth trackers Bluetooth trackers have been around for a while now. Yeah. And these other trackers have existed in, in various forms, like GPS collars for cats and things have existed, but they have been pretty pretty niche and pretty yeah. heavy-duty products. I say, yeah, they're you pretty know, the is, Yeah, the curve is way more compact. And and I think, you know, the tile is probably right now what tile offers is the most basic tracker because it has that mm-hmm. Bluetooth only. Apple has straddled the nice kind of middle ground, I think, by adding in ultra-wideband. And that tech provides good everyday finding as well. Like if yeah. you just know you've like, you know, if you stuck one to the back of your TV remote and you're like, yeah. where in, where, you don't where need in the tracker for that. Yeah. Yeah. That has a yeah. lot more value to me. Yeah. And <laughs> GPS is overkill, but then GPS is great. Yeah. For 
you know, your your backpack when you're traveling or something or, or that kind of situation. I mean, it is worth pointing out that the, the curve also has Bluetooth and works works as a Bluetooth tracker right. as well. Okay. So that's pretty impressive. Um, if only the buzzer was a bit louder, the chime on it is just not very loud. And, mm. you know, because what I wanted to say, Lewis, is have you tried the uh, AirTag outdoors? Because mm. finding something indoors mm. um, when it's quiet is quite easy. When it's when when you've got the outdoor general, you know, ambient noise, almost all trackers sort of fall down on that and you just can't hear them unless you're really, really close. But that's kind of where I think most people would use the precision finding. Yeah. That, that's, you know, if, you, if you can't the chime, hear the chime. Give you enough to do it, you'd think. Yeah. Yeah. It just yeah. so happened before we start recording today or filming today, this literally yeah. dropped up. Nice. Which is the Samsung hey. Galaxy Smart Tag Plus with ultra wide band. Would you look at that? Um, it's got a key ring hole in it. Yeah. How amazing! Hey. Look at that! Look, you don't get none of that on this. <laughs> so that this is what uh, I want to say is, is the massive downside, isn't it? Is that there is no keyhole ring. Uh, there's nothing to attach it to. Yeah. With the air tag, yeah. and you get that with the Galaxy uh, and and most of the tiles as well. It, it I feels think. like a huge emission. I have seen. I think it was. I think it was MKBHD showed that because of the uh, wireless charging and MagSafe stuff on the back of an iPhone, you can, and the AirTag is light enough, you can put it and it will follow the coil shape around the back of an iPhone if you just push it. <laughs> oh, that's it spins around. Well, I'm definitely going to do that, aren't I? <laughs> kind of attach it to an iPhone tenuously, but I wouldn't trust it. Just like I wouldn't trust no. the wallet attachment for MagSafe on oh, iPhone. Right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah. That did not go well. Case in point. Uh, um, so, <laughs> the other thing right. I was going to mention, sorry, before you start, Dom, is that... Um, Obviously, Precision Find is, is great, but it does rely on you having quite a recent iPhone. That would yeah. be great as, as we go a few years in the future and every every iPhone has it. But right now, you do have to have an iPhone from this year or yes. last year to use yeah. that. Does the feature. SE have it? And I know the Apple the Watch. The 12? No, so even, even, no, even the recent 12. SE wouldn't. I don't think, think it's the, the 11 or 12, yeah. No. I know the Apple Watch is already part of the Find Mine network, but if they put a U1 chip in an Apple Watch, I think that would be kind of game over. I mean, if, if it isn't already for these other yeah. rival trackers with regards to ultra-wideband functionality, that precision finding. Fundamentally, the only way the others you know, could Kyle's get on been board in is if for so long, I don't Google know. creates an Android-wide tracking network using the same way yeah. and, and yeah. lets companies like Tile and Chipolo plug into it. Um, I have no reason to yeah. think that they are doing that. We've not heard anything to that effect. But fundamentally, that's the only network anyone could build of, of the same the same scale to let them get back on an evil uh-huh. footing. Yeah. Um, we've gone on for a while, so I want to get to the kind of two maybe bits of AirTag controversy uh, from the week since they launched. Sure. Um, first, probably a, a relatively brief one, but this Australia thing. So they 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 were pulled off sale in one Australian store over concerns that the battery is too easy to remove and that it does makes it a choking hazard uh, for young children. This is mm-hmm. in the context of which in Australia there have been a few recent incidents of children dying choking on button batteries why this has happened specifically in australia or not elsewhere i don't know but it's become an australian talking point yeah um but you know it's obviously a worldwide problem if if they are really easy to pop out and a curious kid can just pop a battery out kind of effortlessly that does seem like a bit of a problem yeah um so i obviously i don't have any of the other trackers on hand to check to check just how easy it is to get the other batteries off uh we have spoken to mike simon from the macro us team who does have quite a few of them and he's said that the air tag is pretty much the easiest one to get open mm-hmm. out of all of them and uh, i mean i can actually show you right now so you just literally the uh stainless steel part on the back you push and twist and it's open yeah and oh, there's wow, the battery yeah, 
Really uh, so that is really you could easy to say do. that maybe it's not a good idea to let your kids play with them if this was going to be my the point sort of, you know the sort of age where they might sure, do but that. if you do have them just tag to things that you leave around the house which is the pitch right you just put it on something that you mm-hmm. don't keep on you because that's the use case is you attach it to something that you yeah. don't that you leave elsewhere in the house so that you know where it um, is that was going to be my question yeah. to Lewis, uh, since you have one. Is it much more difficult if the if the AirTag is in its uh, keyring holder? Would a child be able to easily pop it out of that holder and then take the So, yeah, this is what I was going to say. Um, so it, it's connected by just a standard Okay. Thing. So, I mean, you know, it's it's pretty secure. You can't take it, you can't take the, take the like back that. off without taking but it out of the keyring first. Out. Yeah, so you have to take it out of the key fob yeah. first. Um, and, and of yeah. course, a lot of them will be in those holders. Yeah. Yeah, uh, there's most of them. I mean, if you look at um, kind of the third party ones, especially Apple, obviously want to show off the the sexy nature of their tracker, uh, you know, the stainless steel back and stuff like that. But nobody else cares. <laughs> and some of them have got, you know, entirely rubber bodies, yep. uh, c- c- you know, c- covering these air tags. So it, it just depends on where you, you know, what accessories you buy, because some of them are really cheap. You know, the third party ones you can get for less than a tenner. You don't have to splash How out on Apple stuff. Last? Does Apple quote the battery lasting? It says uh, about a year with average use. Yeah, uh, that's pretty good. Which that's, isn't too bad. It's pretty I standard across Bluetooth trackers. So yeah, yeah. That's, that's and you'll get good. a heads up before it dies, so you can replace it. Nice. Um, important. Very important. Yeah. <laughs> but what yeah. was the other thing you wanted to ask about them? Because you were talking about that. Yeah. So the other I wanted to talk about was it was the stalker. Yeah. Thing, this has it? come yeah. out of a few reviews, mm-hmm. and there's <laughs> been an interesting like kind of dichotomy of reviews written by women and reviews written by men, where the ones written by women are raising this issue more. Um, but the point that it's quite easy to slip one of these into someone else's bag or pocket, and then track where they are going at all the time, mm-hmm. at all times, without their awareness. Um, and Apple's built in a couple of features to try and make this harder, but people have raised that they're maybe not good enough. One is that if you are an iPhone user and it detects an AirTag with you that is not tied to your account or to your phone, it will give you a pop-up saying, hey, there's an AirTag on you and it's not yours. Like, you know, what's the deal with that? Um, yeah. mm-hmm. So for an iPhone user, they, they should in theory get an alert. There have been question marks raised about how quick that alert pops up some people have said it's very quick other people have said it's two hours other people have said it's they've gone for much longer than two hours without seeing the alert pop up uh, the bigger problem is that it doesn't work at all with iphone with android users sorry um what will happen with an android user is they won't see any alert um after a long enough time away from its owner the air tag will automatically make a chime to alert that it's there mm-hmm. but it takes three days mm. to do that so you could wow. accurately yep. track an Android user's location for three full days without them having any awareness of this, which understandably mm. people find quite concerning because it's very easy ways to see an abusive partner or all sorts of other scenarios where someone might want to track someone um, and could suddenly do it much more easily than they ever could before. Um, I raised the question on Twitter really, sort of how is this different to... Uh, the the previous ones, the big example being Tile, where Tile has yeah. that same network functionality where you could see a Tile from a long distance away. Uh, as best I can tell, the main difference is just it doesn't reflect well for Tile, but it's that the tracking with the AirTag is so <laughs> much better <laughs> because the Find My network is so much better. <laughs> you are much more likely to get very accurate tracking for a long amount of time over long distances than you are with a Tile. With a Tile, mm-hmm. you're more likely to have big gaps in the coverage and periods where you can't see where they are yeah. and that kind of thing. Whereas because there are a billion iPhones, you know, running this network, you could pretty reliably, especially in an urban environment, 
trust that you can drop that tracker onto your, you know, onto the pockets of an Android user and know exactly where they go for the next 72 hours, like with a lot of precision. Mm-hmm. It's like the- I think we've got to give credit to Apple for building in those features at all because, um, you know, Mm. if, for example, if we go back to the Vodafone curve or any other GPS tracker, you could use a GPS tracker to track someone really accurately uh, for a week or so until the battery runs out um, and, you know, there's no features in there to say, uh, I'm going to warn you in in case you shouldn't have this tracker with you. So It's a funny one because I think, we often talk about the way when Apple enters, enters into a market, it suddenly makes people aware of that market when they often weren't before. Yeah. And there's people credit Apple with inventing <clears throat> that product. And it feels like the same thing has happened here <laughs> to some extent where people who were dimly aware of these products existing, Apple releases one, and then they suddenly go, oh, wait, but it has all these implications that there just wasn't enough critical mass of people thinking about these products to really yeah. raise these points enough. And, you know, it, I didn't occur to, it didn't occur to me. And then I read a couple write-ups about it and thought, oh God, of course that's a problem. And, and I'm embarrassed that I didn't think about it from that perspective yeah. and that it is a problem. Um, that's a failure on my part. Um, but I think it's fair to say Apple is the only company I'm aware of trying to take proactive steps to prevent this. Mm-hmm. Clearly not good enough. Um, no. But they are trying and funny, they're not good enough is better than what everyone else is doing. <laughs> Yeah, that's my point, <laughs> yeah. really. You know, yeah, uh, it's not an yeah. Apple problem, but it's a exposed a problem with the whole market. Um, and the hope is that then that prompts a Apple to actually upgrade the way they've made this work, especially on the Android side, if they can. Um, but b hopefully it prompts you know Tile and Chipolo and, and all the other companies in this space and Samsung to also realize that they need to build in equivalent features. Um, mm-hmm. I guess the pipe dream hope is we see some sort of Apple Google cooperation on a standard that allows android and ios to uh, interact with that kind of awareness and both yeah. spot those so that you know android phones can start giving alerts when they recognize an air tag because i'm sure that's something that just android needs to be baked into an android on some level um, unless you expect every android oh, yeah. user to install an air tag app um, but you know hopefully then we can see the equivalent happen the other way that kind of support be built in for both OSs to alert to tiles nearby and things like that. If this became widespread, that would be that would be a huge game changer yeah. for this market. Yeah. This sort of echoes the conversation that arose when the uh, talk of the COVID yeah. app that used the Google and Apple APIs that could interact with each other and how phones could then communicate with each other without the users like being necessarily aware. It just sounds there's like a parallel here. But now it's, you know you're opting to buy a product that has this all. I was essentially going to raise that because yeah, the, the COVID tracking stuff proved that this is possible. Like on a technological level, yeah. this clearly can be done. We now know it can be done because when they, you know, really have to, I appreciate uh, this niche product category, having a stalking potential <laughs> terrible as that is, is not on the same level as the COVID pandemic. So it may not prompt the same level no. of uh, interaction. And then in a way, you know, there's going to be other privacy concerns may be raised by, all these phones interacting with network with our location data and things like that that i can see nervousness about but um i don't see how else you deal with this problem um you know i, I saw uh gizmodo australia kind of you know made the point that maybe this whole product category is just doomed or, or problematic at least because it just it is baked in yeah you can use these to stalk people and that's just something we have to accept that mm-hmm. And maybe that's a reason, you know, we have to accept as a society whether we think these should exist or shouldn't, because maybe it's just fundamental to them that 
If you can use it to track your wallet, you can you, use you it can to track your girlfriend. You could say that about so many other products, can't you? You, you could <laughs> yeah. say that about so many. You could use things for good. Social you could media. use things for bad. Social media. Yeah. You could, yeah. It's a tool, isn't yeah. it? Mm-hmm. Um, it's on how, it depends on how it's used. A hundred times in on camera. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, I think this is on a different level to most of those things in terms of the way it gives you really personal tracking things. And I guess it's just the idea that it makes it way, way more accessible. You know, you could always, mm-hmm. you know, if you were technically savvy enough, go buy the components to build a little GPS tracker yourself. But that's not many people can. When you just turn around right. and say, look, for, for 30 bucks, you can go and buy this thing that will let you stalk someone. That's, you know, on a slightly different level. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the other irony is that, you know, you can go into your Google account and look at your location <laughs> history just passively, just like, and see all the all the journeys that Google just goes, oh yeah, you went to the shops 3 p.m. yesterday. <laughs> Always on seven. Um, yeah, so I, there's interesting questions there, I guess, which mostly just boil down to that old thing about corporate responsibility, which is, yeah, you know, how much are these companies responsible for the ways users might use their products? Um, credit to Apple, they clearly see themselves as at least having enough responsibility to try and prevent that and introduce some warning features that will hold it back. Um, I, I would question if they've gone far enough and then I only hope it kind of prompts the rivals to also introduce those kind of security features in their space because uh, I think that kind of to, if these are going to be widespread, we need more security to stop them being misused and it is on the companies, I think, to uh, step in and control that as best as they are able to. Yeah. Uh, mm. somber note to the end of the episode uh, <laughs> hope you will have cheerier stuff to talk about next week uh, we will of course be back next Thursday afternoon we should hopefully be talking about the Asus Zenfone 8 which will have launched the day before if I've got my dates lined up right in my head uh, I'm not sure what else we'll have but I'm, I know Lewis is excited to talk about flippy Zenfone cameras and things like that Uh, So we will see you all next week. Mm. (laughs) Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.